Surfers Radio. Hey, what's up, you guys? Welcome to Word First Radio, the podcast brought to you by Word First Ministries. I am your host, Jacob O'Neill, and as always, I'm joined by my friend Cameron. Hey. And today, we're continuing our series-ish, series-ha-it's kind of a series, <laughs> it's an ongoing thing, yeah. where we're talking about some of the things we hear from uh, people on the streets when we're evangelizing, uh, objections they bring to the Bible, Christianity, God, and we're going to unpack yeah. them for you guys and talk about what... Uh, we would say in a situation like that. And so one of the things that we've heard uh, recently, I've heard this from a friend of mine who I I take out to coffee every now and then. We've heard this uh, pretty much the whole time we've been here, actually, is this idea that's kind of known in apologetic circles as like the monster God objection. Or so the idea is, you know, hey, I've read the Old Testament and the Old Testament is filled with some bloody episodes, Mm -hmm. like terrible stuff. You have God commanding, legislating things about slavery and making laws about women that are very problematic. You see God uh, killing people, babies even, like the flood of Noah or um, the Exodus, the 10th plague of the Exodus. And that seems really morally outrageous and awful and terrible. And I cannot believe in a God who would do that. Sure, New Testament God, He's he's my yeah. bro. Like I, I like the New Testament God is awesome, but the Old Testament God, like I, let me just say, I'm thankful that Jesus came and uh, corrected him. So that's the kind of vibe I get from that uh, question, and that's uh, more or less how it's phrased. It comes up in things like objections to the Exodus or Noah's Ark or uh, Old Testament laws. But that's something we've heard, haven't we, from some people? Yeah, it comes in various forms. I mean, so famously. Richard Dawkins, who was one of the so-called horsemen of the new, uh, the new atheism, he said that the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction, jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, hmm. a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Maybe he should tell us how he really feels. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that might be the sort of most all-encompassingly way, all-encompassing way of explaining that um, the objections you brought up. But most people, it's something like, "Listen, your Bible says some stuff about God that make him really evil, and I would never follow a God like that." And right. you say, "Okay, well, like what?" And they'll say, "Well." Like stuff about slaves and rape and mm. God does genocide and you have to kill someone for mixing the fibers of their clothes. And yeah. if you believe this about biblical sexual ethics, then have you ever sat on a chair after a, after a uh, menstruating woman did? And if you did, then you have to, uh, and, sure. right, and something like that. And mm-hmm. I'll say, this isn't true in all circumstances, but I, or in all cases, but I don't think I've ever found, I've ever experienced a time when what I'm about to say is not true. Generally, those people have not read the Old Testament mm-hmm. and come up with objections on their own. Right. They've read a list online, mm-hmm. um, and the that list, that rapid fire shotgun list online, without knowing God and without knowing what he what he's like and who he is, um, they find objectionable. You're like, well, look, here's a time when you've got multiple marriage, and you've got uh, Dawkins himself said homophobic. You have God condemning homosexual behavior, right? And you have God, um seemingly condoning slavery and all these things. So the argument over overall is here's something that's morally objectionable about this about your god. Sometimes it's a little bit more sophisticated which is 
listen, the God you're trying to get me to believe in is incompatible with what the Bible says about him. So, hmm. either you're misrepresenting God or you've disproven yourself because your own Bible describes him oppositely of what you say, which things like God is love. And God is not love if yeah. he is, if here are his rules about rape or here are his rules about slavery, or here are his rules about sexual ethics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's a really, uh, uh, it's an important objection. And I mean, we ought to steel man it. We ought to put it in like the, the, the latter light that you just described yeah. right there. I mean, so there are people, if you're, you know, if you're one of those people who has this objection and you haven't read the Old Testament or uh, sought to understand the narrative of the Old Testament, because the Bible uh, from Genesis to Malachi in the Old Testament mm-hmm. is telling a narrative that is important in considering why it says some of the things that it does. Uh, but if you are someone who has done that, or if you think like, okay, well, if you're telling me God is love, and but why would a God of love allow these certain things or command these yeah. certain things or do these certain things that I see in the Old Testament? So, we're going to be unpacking that uh, as uh, well, as elegantly as possible in a brief mm-hmm. podcast, but uh, we are definitely not going to say everything there is to say about this topic. And so, I would definitely encourage people to keep exploring and uh, unlearn the nonsense we spout in this one, but also to maybe to uh, take heart some of the considerations that we have, because it's not exactly the first time uh, Cameron or I have thought about these things, because uh, we've read the Old Testament as well. And I think it's, first of all, important to note that when people are troubled by these things, we don't want to dismiss that at all. Right. So, the, the people have these troubling reactions to the things they read in the Old Testament. And that's, um, well, let's just say that initial reaction is not completely misguided, uh, but it does need some clarification. There is a light that the scripture can shed on that so that that reaction can be, uh, let's say, gotten rid of eventually. Right. And, so, and I yeah. think we have to have the humility to recognize that, um, like, listen, Jacob, I know now you've been remade by God, but before that happened, were you a fallen sinner? Yeah, of course. And are you learning to become more like God now, or have you been perfected? I'm, I'm still learning. Okay, so, so should we yeah. expect that we understand and agree with everything we learn about God in the scriptures. Oh, definitely not. It's like, yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's, it, we should go, okay, so there are some things that should trouble us, and we mm-hmm. learn to trust God through those things. And it happens in the context of knowing him and who he is and him having proven his character um, and his nature to us. So, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't mean to say that, well, we just need to learn that every evil thing that looks like in the Bible, that's actually, actually good things. Right. right. That's not what I yeah. mean. But what I do mean is... If we're being remade and we have appetites for wicked things, mm-hmm. and then we see God's standard, um, and those don't make sense to us, mm-hmm. it's likely that our appetite for wicked things is influencing how we see, how we judge, morally speaking, what God is like. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, I mean, well, let's uh, let's kind of just jump into it. So, yeah. so Cam, I'll go ahead and throw the baton to you. Um, you have the unenviable uh, task of <laughs> going first, yeah. if you will. Um, so, how do you how do you address this objection, this monster god objection? It really depends on what the right on what the specific example is. How about I give you one? Is that okay? Well, let me, in a second, sure, go ahead. Because my answer, my first answer, usually is to ask those people to get specific. Because right. usually they can't, and the point is not to win, mm-hmm. but the point is maybe to draw out that they have some prejudices against the scriptures and just, well, show me, show me the objectionable thing and we'll talk about that thing. Mm -hmm. But if you say in general, these, um, whole bunch of pieces of ancient literature 
are they're they're morally objectionable because of the things they teach i i can't really respond to that you know what i mean like let's mm. let's take them one at a time and what i hope to do there is maybe inspire a little bit more humility when it comes to the text so you can rattle off that thing that richard dawkins rattled off mm. and people see that and they go yeah that's what the god of the old testament is like I can say, well, show me. And they can tell me where, where God says that he's jealous. Okay, let's, ta- let's talk about that. Sure, sure. And break it down into individual slices that we can deal with um, and answer one at a time. And that are legitimate. Because like, like you said, they're like legitimately troubling things in not just the Old Testament, but the New Testament also. Um, they're things that, should tr- that do trouble our human spirits mm-hmm. and do trouble our hearts before they've been replaced. Like they trouble our hearts of stone. Um, because we're still in rebellion against God and we don't understand, uh, we don't understand goodness. Mm. So if that's my answer, if you've asked me, what about this God who looks like a giant bully, blah, blah, blah. Sure. Um, and then my response is, okay, well, like, like, what do you mean? Give me an example. Yeah, of course. So, uh, I'll tell you the first one, it's going to be a heavy one. So get ready. So yeah, but this was asked to me on the street. And when you're asked this on the street, right, you don't have time to say like, okay, well, let me go read uh, some books. Let me go read mm-hmm. Paul Copan's book on right. <laughs> of the Old it's Testament. And, yeah, yeah, uh, which I've read and, and it's a it's a good, really good book. Yeah. Um, but anyways, so he asked me. He was like, "Listen, I just want to talk about this." He wasn't being rude. He wasn't being aggressive. He was just like, "I need. We need to talk about this." Sure. He said, "I think your God's a hypocrite." Mm-hmm. I'm like, "Oh, okay. Well, why is God? A, why is my God a hypocrite?" He's a hypocrite because he tells people not to murder, but God murders all the time. And I'm not yeah. saying God tells the Israelites to murder, um, but he does it himself. So, a couple examples, right? Noah's uh, flood in uh, Genesis uh, 6 to 9. You have the Exodus, where God kills the firstborn of every Egyptian household. Um, you've got Sodom and Gomorrah, where God rains down fire on Sodom and Gomorrah, and there had to have been babies there. So, your God kills babies and women and children. But he tells us not to, so he's a hypocrite. That's a really, really heavy objection that people ask. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's one of the reasons, it's heavy because it's um, mm. emotionally moving. Yeah. And in a sense is true, mm-hmm. right? So, if you, if you when you put it that way, you're like, look, I mean, here are all the times God was killing people, and it seems like he's got different rules for us. And it's really rich because there's a lot to talk about. There's mm-hmm. historical information, there's uh, philosophical information, including ethical information. There's how do we understand the scriptures? Like, what do the scriptures actually say? Mm-hmm. How much of our current modern worldview and ethical expectations are we importing into the text? What are we expecting of uh, of the text or what do we under- understand mm-hmm. about ethics? And I think that's there's lots to say there. But I think one of the important things is I think we don't so when we have these conversations, let's recognize this. I think we um, underestimate mm-hmm. the effect to which our culture, like starting in our in our homes, mm-hmm. influences our moral intuitions. So hmm. we take most moral decisions we make, we take them to be self evident. It's like, well, how do you know if this is right or wrong? We you you bring it before your consciousness and you measure your response, whether it's some version of yay or boo. And if Mm. it's boo, you know that it's wrong. And most of the time we're right. I think, I don't know if I'd say most of the time, but I'm not convinced it's not most of the time, but I think very often, and generally that's a reliable way of knowing whether something is uh, evil or virtuous. How does it comport with my moral intuitions? Um, I think generally we're pretty good at that, but we don't recognize how those moral intuitions were shaped by our culture, our society, our household. So when we start when we when we look in the scriptures 
mm-hmm. and we say, this is immoral because it violates my moral prejudices, which is what mm. they really are, violates my moral prejudices, how could your God be so evil? I think that is a bit of a sort of presentist hmm. fallacy. That's to say that that's it's anachronistic mm-hmm. and views morality in a certain way. So let's let's think about this. It's like we, we talk about fish don't know they're swimming, right? Right. And so mm-hmm. we're, we're fish that don't quite realize that we're swimming and people want to talk to us about swimming and we say, well, what are you talking about? Right? We're mm-hmm. we're um we're used to the atmosphere that we've or the environment that we've grown up in. So take that as part of our baseline. How do we begin to answer the objection that you made, which is something like your God's a hypocrite. He tells humans not to murder. Mm-hmm. And when I say, what is murder? And you say that that's the intentional killing of an innocent person, something like that. And it looks like your God's doing that a whole lot. How do you answer for that? And again, I said, there's, there's a lot there. You talked about Noah's flood or the cities of the plains and God executing his, his, uh, summary judgment against people. Um, it depends on the person where I would begin, but I think mm-hmm. in general I would start with, well, let's let's make sure we're talking about the right thing. So, what does murder mean? Right. And well, murder means killing somebody. Well, no, it doesn't, because we recognize the different. There's a difference between strangling someone to death um, because they because they cut in front of you in McDonald's, sure, and um, sliding on the ice while you're driving and smashing someone with your car and killing them. Right. Right. In in both mm-hmm. cases, you are in the direct causal chain of causing somebody's death. So we know that just causing someone's death is not the same, is not the same thing as murder. Mm-hmm. Murder requires that somebody dies. You, like if you haven't killed them, you haven't murdered yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But just because you've killed someone doesn't mean necessarily it's an immoral act of murder. And we can think of lots of examples. Mm-hmm. The one that I just said would we call involuntary manslaughter. It, right. was an, it was an accident. And maybe that's not even involuntary manslaughter. Maybe it's just an accident. Mm-hmm. And no one's guilty. It's just that's one of the risks we take on in society, uh, driving on, you know, driving mm-hmm. on slippery things. But then we also recognize that there are different degrees of wrongness when it comes to um, taking somebody's life at my hand. So there's there are accidents. There's involuntary manslaughter. There's there's neglect uh, or negligent behavior. Manslaughter is murder without the element of intent, mm-hmm. right? So we recognize all these things. So killing somebody in murder are not they're not synonymous. Sure, exactly. And so murder generally will de- is defined as something like the unlawful taking of a human of an innocent human life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think unlawful is a bit of a red herring um, because I don't think the law or the, the positive law of a culture defines whether something is murder or not. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, it's unlawful, but built in the law is that you're allowed to kill, uh, you're allowed to kill black people if you want. Exactly. And then, like, yeah. then, then it doesn't count as murder. And that's right. obviously absurd. Um, people said that Hitler never did anything legally wrong. Right. Which is true. Right. 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 It, so like, you pass yeah. the law that says it's okay to kill all of the, the Jews and, uh, and all the gypsies mm-hmm. and all the other, you know, so-called undesirable people. Yeah. That's a lot that says that's okay. And then it's not murder, which yeah. I think is stupid. Yeah, it is, it is murder. Hitler but, did murder all those people. Yeah. Right. But of yeah. course he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, and but like, mm. that's the point. Yeah. But to say that it's murder when God flooded the earth, well, let's talk, let, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only murder if, if God has taken innocent life. Something like that. And we can talk about what that amounts to. And and we can talk about the nature and consequences of sin. But if what God is doing is an act of judgment, Mm -hmm. um, and he is a good and right and all-knowing and perfect judge, then it would be impossible for him to commit a a murder uh, in that case. Um, 
you could bring up, of course, well, what about all, what about all these children? These children are innocent. Mm-hmm. And of course we could and should talk about that. In fact, maybe that's something that you'd like to talk about. Yeah. Um, but I would start with, what do we mean by murder? And then tell me the example you're talking about. Well, he, he killed all these cities on the plains. Well, these cities were were super wicked. And most people, we talk to them about, uh, you give them an example of something that needs justice. Mm-hmm. Like, here's something that needs justice. How should God respond to that thing? Right. Should he respond to it with indifference? Or should he respond with uh, just sort of blanket forgiveness? Because mm-hmm. that's another criticism that I hear is that God is too forgiving. Right? You look in heaven and we see these <laughs> yeah. these uh, Nazis and slave owners and what, they repented on their deathbed and now mm-hmm. they get led into paradise? Yeah. And, uh, and there are all these little children that God's killed that have gone to hell. Well, first of all, I think that's a very flat and wooden and um, um, – inelegant and false like view of how how sin and salvation actually work. Sure. Nevertheless, um, I think that we can't, we can talk about God's justice and say, here's what justice. So here's what justice looks like. And here's Mm -hmm. what justice demands. And if God, God is authorized as the perfect judge, he is authorized to take life. He's the giver of life. He invented it. (laughs) He invented it. He's the source of life. He's the only thing in existence that has life in himself. Any life that we have is, uh, we say on loan from mm. from God Almighty. He is the source of our life, and He has the rightful authority to take it as He sees fit. And then we talk about whether those qualify as murder and whether or not God's allowed to do that. Mm. But He has moral rights that we as creatures don't have, mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean He's a hypocrite. If he says you're not allowed to murder, but I am. God never says that. Exactly. I, I would say yeah. that God is incapable of murder, mm-hmm. and all these these troubling passages where God's uh, where God's taking life. Mm-hmm can be explained in terms in terms that are consistent with both his love his loving nature and his perfectly just nature that sees that um that takes care of evil in the world like there's a sense when you can't sort of have it both ways you can't mm-hmm. say well why would god allow so much evil but then when god judges evil and wickedness go whoa 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 what's up with right. that who are you to be the one to take the lives of these people who are evil and wicked something like that i've said too much and it's been You're kind good. of it's been kind of uh convoluted but I think we talk about God's nature. I think we talk about what does murder mean? And God, therefore, is incapable of murder. And you're actually using wrong moral judgment. You are standing mm-hmm. in judgment of God as a moral monster, but your moral judgment is incorrect yeah. and incomplete because because what you've done at this point is you've executed the kind of moral reasoning that you always do, which mm-hmm. is bring it before my consciousness, measure my, my woohoo versus yo gross response <laughs> yeah yeah my yay or boo response mm-hmm. this comes down way on the side of boo and so therefore god has committed a moral atrocity yeah now, well wait a minute moral reasoning is is more subtle and complex than that and there there are axioms and moral truths that come to bear whether it to actually judge whether mm-hmm. or not god's done, done something wrong and my call it moral response. I say emotional response. I don't mean to denigrate it, sure. but my moral reaction, my, that's not the, that's not the determiner of what mm-hmm. is good, what is right and wrong, right? There are exactly. some things, there are some things that are way wrong that I have a yes, woohoo attitude about. Mm-hmm. And therefore it's at least possible. And I think very likely that there are some things that are morally good that I have a whoa, boo attitude about. I'm yeah. going to stop talking. I'm trying to detangle you're, all my very tangled thoughts. So, but. you're fine. Well, I mean, that's the uh, difficult thing about being asked this kind of stuff on the street is that, you know, we don't really have time to write up, like, you know, a whole super well thought through response. We can kind of just um, 
wing it, if you will, on yeah. the spot. I'm not saying you wung it, but I mean, I, I yeah. get that it's a very complicated issue. But yeah. I, I really do think that it kind of just all boils down to what you said. You're like, really what's happening is, you know, we put ourselves in the, in the judgment seat right. and we're judging, you know, what an eternal, all-knowing, all-loving, all-just being would do. Right. And we take and, for granted that our moral judgment is correct yeah. with no good reason to believe that it is. That's the thing. And so I want to talk about that just real quick too, because I mean, so the way that the objection is is framed is like, well, your God's a hypocrite because he doesn't follow his own rules. Right. So he's like, okay, well, if the Bible says it's wrong to kill or to murder, but God kills and murders, then he's a hypocrite. I think first of all, um, if you were really going to be consistent uh, you would make allowances for God's justice to mm-hmm. bear, <laughs> for God's right. justice to to actualize, because you have to. You can't just take the one commandment that you like out of the Scripture and hold God to it without uh, first considering the whole consistent narrative of what Scripture says. Right. Because when you do that, when you just rip out that one thing, then you're doing exactly what Cameron criticized you of doing. You're, you're you are just doing your own moral mm-hmm. judgments and the culture that you were raised in, and your own moral presuppositions and foist them on God and judging him. Um, but the, I mean, the thing is, is we just can't do that. It's, it's so, we're so uh, removed from what God knows, from what God's purpose is, uh, from what God, from what an ultimate, all loving, all knowing, all good being would do in any circumstance. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like, I think my first response, my first answer to this objection is humility. It's just like, right. this. There's really just no way of knowing what that kind of being would do. And so what that kind of being has revealed to us is a couple different things about what he's doing in the world. And those things are that he has a uh, plan, he has a certain way that we're supposed to live, and we really love living not that way. And so let's take like uh, Noah's flood and and what the Bible actually says there. Mm-hmm. What the Bible actually says in Genesis 6, uh, I don't know the exact verse, just go read the whole chapter and you'll find it. Uh, it's it for says, context. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, what the Bible says is that the intention of man's heart was always evil continuously. Yes. And that's, I mean, that's where we are. So, if you look at mankind and you think what mankind is, is we're just innocent people doing our best and God is just, you know, killing us when we're trying to do our best and live our lives as best as we can. That's not uh, at all what's going on. Uh, What's going on is that God has uh, desired to be in relationship with us. He has desired us to live in a way that's best for us and what's best for the world around us. And we hate that. We hate that and we want to live the way that we want to, which destroys ourselves. It makes life worse for us, for the people around us, for the world around us. And most of all, what's most important, and this is something that people in the discussion uh, rarely allow uh, until they meet you or me, and then we bring it in. What's most of all is that they've rebelled and rejected God as the highest of all beings. And that's the biggest problem. Right. The biggest problem is that they've rejected God. And so, the whole thing with this uh, conversation is, well, I, listen, I just don't like when God, uh, you know, kills these people in the Old Testament or mm. passes judgment on people. And what I say is, of course you don't. Yeah. Of course you don't like that. Because... You know what that means? If you were to say that, like, okay, God was just in what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah or in Noah's flood or in the Exodus, then you have to say God is just 
and the right thing for him to do is to judge my sin mm. and my evil. God can't just judge uh, the Egyptians and let me off the hook because I've also contributed to making life worse for me, right. the world around me, and rebelling against God myself. And, and you have to draw the line just outside of your own sinfulness, yeah. right? So, mm-hmm. so um, we tend to view ourselves as deserving of relationship with God. And not rebellious. Yeah, well, sure, we don't get it right all the time. And right. I make mistakes and everyone's human and who human and who doesn't. Right. But God should let me in. Right? If that if that's the sure. story we're we're talking about. Yeah. But God should let me in. Mm-hmm. And I recognize Christians that the our relationship with God is much more rich than whether or not he lets us into <laughs> whether our name is on of the course. Yeah. Whether, right, he opens the velvet rope for us at the end of time. What I mean is if that's how people are thinking about him, they say something like, God should let me in. But people eviler than me, he shouldn't. Mm. And, but then they don't. We tend not to see other people until they're murderers or something really awful as as more evil than I am. And we tend to misunderstand the evilness, the depth of the wickedness of our own sin. And so I'm gonna, I, I want to. So the passage that you quoted, mm-hmm. and I, I wanted uh, just sort of tack this onto what you said because everything you said I think is is uh, right on. But the scripture says in the in the CSB, the company Bible, <laughs> when the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth uh-huh. and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think in that conversation, when I say, listen, you have to tell the whole story. It's not the case that people mm-hmm. were just behaving and, and everything was fine and God right. wiped them out with a flood. Like if the, you notice God hasn't done it again since. So we've never experienced mm-hmm. a society that is that evil such that God has to wipe them out again. And so look at the depths of human wickedness around the world. I mean, we find especially pockets of horrific evils that you can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. So now imagine that you, like you have to take the whole you have to you have to take the whole story, step into the whole story where it's not just people hanging out and there's one guy who likes God a little bit more so God kills everyone else. No, no, no. Human wickedness was widespread and every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time and God God found one person who had favor with him mm. and he rescued him and his whole family. Mm. So I wonder could there be a better way of deal of dealing with a problem like okay you could ask someone okay now sit in the judgment seat and how would you have handled that issue how would you have handled human evil and wickedness but let's tell the whole story humanity is described in these terms and it was bad enough we've never seen it again god's never done it again in fact he promised not to right. god's never done it again we haven't seen this much evil and wickedness on the earth and god picked exactly the moment where human wickedness was maximal but there was one person that he was able that was sufficiently righteous that he was willing to save them yeah. to say, to say start over. I don't think God was really starting over, but that's mathematically anyways, what happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, but found a man and rescued him and his family as mm-hmm. a picture of God's mercy. When humanity was, um, when the intentions of humanity were, were evil all of the time. Yeah. No. And I, I mean, I agree. Like, tell the whole story. We, we you know, yeah. we have to, we can't just uh, take the parts we don't like. And I do think that there's a fish, you know, fish doesn't know it's swimming kind of situation happening mm-hmm. here when it comes down to like idolatry. And so I think uh, one of the reasons why we think that murder is worse than idolatry mm-hmm. is because we're all idolaters. Right. <laughs> we're not all murderers. Right. <laughs> we're all idolaters. Right. So all of us have decided, you know, hey, so listen, God, you're not God. I want to be God or something else needs to be God or mm-hmm. something like that. But not, 
not the real God. We've all either done that unconsciously or consciously. We like to, we like to, um, the way that C.S. Lewis says, what's wrong with the world is mankind is constantly trying to find something other than God that makes him happy. Yeah. That's a, a loose paraphrase of what it is, but it, 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 uh, the quote has that sentiment. And so, that's idolatry. Trying mm-hmm. to find something other than God that makes you happy is idolatry. And we don't think it's that bad because we're all idolaters. Right. But so, we're calibrated to that. Exactly. We're calibrated to it. But if we step into God's world, if we step into God's morality, which is what we're doing when we try and say that God's a hypocrite by mm-hmm. his own standard, okay, well, we need to take his whole standard into account. And we have to be like, no, no, no what's, what's way worse than murder is idolatry. Mm. What's way worse than uh, the things that we think are extra evil is idolatry. I'm not saying uh, murder. Uh, well, Jacob, are you saying that all sin uh, isn't the same? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm definitely saying that sins are worse than others. Murder is definitely worse than other sins. I think murder is worse than lying. Um, I can't make uh, eternal judgments on that, but uh, I can make provisional judgments on that. But idolatry is worse than all those things because mm-hmm. that's the sin that is the root of all the other ones. Yeah. That's the one that pours out into all the other ones. And that's the issue. And so I'll tell you just real quick, Cameron, this mm-hmm. Cameron doesn't know this, but it's a story of a, of a gentleman I was sitting down with and talking to this about, and he was, he was talking about Sodom and Gomorrah a lot. And he was like, well, I, uh, I think God's a monster. I don't think he should have done that. I think he should have just judged the people that were doing the terrible, that were trying to do the terrible thing to Lot's guests instead of judge both the cities. Yeah. Um, I say, first of all, uh, uh the the entire city was wicked they were all, they mm-hmm. were it was it was basically just a cesspool of wickedness basically but i told him straight up i was like well i think what the problem here is sir is that god decided to judge evil which is in all of us all of us are idolaters all of us are evil god decided to judge evil and you don't like that cuz that means he'd have to judge the evil in you and in me and so you resist that and you're like well i have to say god's judgment is unjust because if I say is just, he has to judge me. And he looked at me and he was like, yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's about it. <laughs> I think that's about it. If I have to say, if I have to say that God was right in what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah, that means I have to say he, he would be right in whatever he does to me yeah. or whatever he judges me with. And that's the problem. The, so the problem with when God uh, judges people in the Old Testament is that he is taking the role of uh, judge and jury. He is God. He's the one who's responsible for bringing justice to bear in this world when people are sinful and abundantly sinful. Mm-hmm. And we are resistant to that. We don't like it when he does that. It's it's uh, it's shocking to us, yeah. but he's influencing his role. And that doesn't make him a hypocrite because that's his job. Uh, that's actually, Cam, uh, that's another thing, this idea yeah. of hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. Cam, do you have different rules uh, than your daughter does when it comes to approaching your pizza oven? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, yeah. I, I obliquely <laughs> referred to that earlier, yeah. but God has different rights. Exactly. And has yeah. different rights than we have. And it's not the case that um, a moral system means that every member under the moral system has the same rights and obligations. Right. So, uh, for example, there are things that are moral when ad- adults do them to each yeah. other that are immoral when adults do them to children. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And we don't say, well, you're, you're a hypocrite about that. If, you can, if you're allowed to do that with your wife, why can't you do that with a child? Mm-hmm. You say, well, no, no, no. That's not an act of, that's not an act of hypocrisy. Yeah. That's, uh, that has to do with the, 
with the particulars about the people involved. Yeah. And so, God has the authority to make moral declarations. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying God's allowed to break the rules. Don't hear that. And I'm not even saying that the rules don't apply to God. Like, the rules don't apply to God or God's allowed to break them. I'm saying the rules are such that when God does certain things, they're just and moral mm-hmm. and perfect and virtuous. And for us to do what looks like that same thing is wicked and evil and detestable and morally outrageous. Yeah. And that's that's where I think like the father and child analogy can really uh, um, uh, make the point really clear. Mm-hmm. So, right. So, if one of your daughters came to you and said, well, dad, you said I can't touch the pizza oven, but Jacob gets to go over there and use it. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the, what's the deal? You're a hypocrite. You're, right. But that's not what's happening at all. And that's should be obvious to all of us that that's yeah. not what's happening. There's different well, rules that apply to those who know better, to those who are in a different plane, if you will, of knowledge mm-hmm. than those who are not. Right. And, uh, well, and that, yeah. that we have this uh, philosophers of religion call epistemic distance between us and God. I'll give you a mm. very quick um, parable. And it's one, Jacob, you've heard me give a whole bunch of times. But what's built into this intuition that God's being a hypocrite is our own judgment about the facts. So, something like, okay, yeah, I, I grant that murder is the intentional taking of an innocent life. Right. But look, God is intentionally taking these innocent lives. And I want to say something like, well, why do you think they're innocent? And I can bring all of my human knowledge to bear and not necessarily, pr- not necessarily prove that. Built into the story is that God is uh, has perfect knowledge of all things, right? And so mm-hmm. that's one example of what we might call this epistemic distance. Epistemic distance is this. Here's my here's my um, parable. Right. My oldest daughter, Chirsten, is ten. Last night she pulled her own first molar. <laughs> but we can imagine that she comes to me and says, "Papa, I have a I have a really severe stomach ache." And me as Papa, I know that it's her appendix. And that it's dangerous and that the times are desperate and we need to get her to the doctor right away so she can have that thing removed. Right? You just that's that's the thought experiment. She's experiencing a very bad stomach ache, and I know that it's her uh that her appendix is is ready to go. Right. And if that appendix her appendix bursts, it can and is likely to kill her. Right. And so she says, Okay, what so we talk about it, right, Cherry, what do you think we should do? I don't know, it just really hurts. Okay, well let me explain to you what's going to happen. I'm going to take you to some people you've never met, and they're going to strip you naked, and they're going to give you drugs to make you unconscious, and then they're going to put you onto a table. And while you're naked and unconscious, they're going to uh, they're going to use blades to cut your body open and to take body parts out of your body, right? And you can mm-hmm. uh, so that I don't have to do it. this. Might get kicked off of YouTube, <laughs> yeah. uh, so that I don't have to do it. Just tell yourself the true story of what an appendectomy is like. Sure. In very gruesome but true terms. Right. And if I explain that to my 10-year-old child, mm-hmm. she might trust me. <laughs> she, might, <laughs> yeah. she probably is going to be like, that sounds weird, but I'm going to be unconscious. Yeah, you'll be unconscious. Okay, I trust you. Right. But imagine she tells her friend. She's like, last week I told my dad I had a stomach ache, and he told me what we need to do is. Mm-hmm. And she explains the procedure in gory details. Her friend might go, what is wrong with your dad? What yeah. kind of monster? He's a moral monster. He's yeah. a moral monster. Yeah. What kind of monster would carry out that kind of that kind of wickedness against an innocent little girl because she has a tummy ache? Mm-hmm. And the problem with that what that little girl has said, you notice it's not really her moral reasoning. Because if it's yeah. another context and my daughter tells her that story, here's what my here's what my dad wants to do to me. Without the information about her appendix, which is going to kill her, mm-hmm. that makes the th- the thing she describes morally outrageous. Mm-hmm. 
what's wrong is she doesn't she lacks knowledge and wisdom and all of the facts. Yeah. And if she had them, then she would realize if she had the amount of understanding, if Chirsten or her friend had the understanding that I have as dad, then they would understand why the solution is what it is. What we have is epistemic distance between mm-hmm. us. They don't understand the situation as well as what I do. So from their point of view, it looks like what I'm doing and commanding is, um, is like I said, morally outrageous. Right. So now try and imagine in that little parable, what's the epistemic distance between my 10 year old and myself. It ain't much. Right, it's not, yeah, it ain't much. Maybe like thirty years, yeah, or something. Well, like thirty years, but yeah. also she's way smarter than I ever was. So, <laughs> and so the distance is probably less than what you would acqu- uh, accumulate over thirty years of life. But now, what's the moral? What's the epistemic distance between myself and God Almighty? Mm. So, when God can say things like "all the intentions of men were man were completely wicked all the time," right? Um, then I think we could take his judgment on that right and uh, take his judge, take his word on his judgment. And this is a challenge to our, our Christian friends in particular is we learn to trust God's nature and who he is. And that helps us to understand the things that's that from our point of view, don't quite make much sense. So the thing I just told you about the epistemic distance, that might mm-hmm. not be particularly moving to a skeptic right. because what it sounds like is I don't understand it, but I'm just going to say it's okay because God did it. And of course it's a, I think I think one of the reasons why it wouldn't be attractive to a skeptic is because that's a kind of a call to humility. Yeah, that's a call to submission. And and what I would, how I would like to frame that though, is if you're going to say that okay, well God violates His own moral standard, mm-hmm. I would just call for consistency and just be like, listen, approach the God of the Bible on His terms. Then, right. so if you're going to hold Him accountable to His terms, then you can't. You have to use only you his to, terms. You, you can't start inserting terms, your yeah. own terms and saying, well, your God on his own terms violates my terms. Well, exactly. So, I mean, like, understand that. Understand, like, listen, in the, on God's terms, there is this epistemic distance. Mm-hmm. There, and I think that this is a really good way of making the point. And I think a way to uh, not use any jargon just to be uh, – to maybe as make it as simple as possible is, listen, we just don't know. You just don't know what an eternal – I said it a couple times, an eternal, all loving, all good, all just being would do mm-hmm. in any situation. You just really, we just really don't know. And it's not really possible for us, at least now, to know. Um, and I don't think that that's unfair. I don't think that that's dodging the question. Yeah. I think that that's, uh, I think that's a pretty modest uh, premise to have. I think that's like, no, no, I think that that's just true. I think it's hard for us or impossible for us to stand at the judgment seat and say like, no, well, God should have done this mm-hmm. in Sodom and Gomorrah's case, or should that, have done this to the Egyptians. Yeah, I hear that too about like, um, biological design. Mm-hmm. Like, if your God's so smart, then why is then why is humanity designed like this? That seems like a stupid this like a problem in engineering. Yeah. I'm like, are you serious? Right. <laughs> That's like saying like, oh, well, make the- <laughs> one cell, make one cell, and then talk to me about how trillions of them should be organized and engineered. Yeah. Well, if your car was so advanced, why doesn't it have wings? Right. Why can't it fly? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that's kind of that's a bad argument. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think that's that's really not compelling at all. Yeah. It depends on what the designer's intentions was or, or intentions are. Right. And so, when God sits in the judgment seat, because that's where He's at, and He decides to judge mankind. Well, what do you think about mankind? What do you think about God? Mm-hmm. Is it is it right for God to do these kinds of things? Well, uh, on God's terms, yeah, 
it is because these are what human beings are not innocent. It's not yeah. like we, it's not like, I mean, you know, to Cam's point, right? So maybe it was uh, worse in that time, in at the time of Noah's flood. Maybe we haven't seen another period like that. Yeah. Um, but it's not like uh, our lives, uh, the intentions of our hearts these days are not evil, right? at least most of the time. It's not like that isn't the case. It is the case. And at the top of the list there, I think, is idolatry. I yeah. think, yeah. So, yeah, I think... I think that's good for now. I think that helps kind of lay out our thoughts on that. Yeah. I think, I mean, gosh, there's so there's, much we could say to about say. it. I'd like to add one more thing. Yeah, please. There's lots to say. And mm-hmm. I think we could, even with a skeptic, agree, listen, God has the right and authority to take life in certain cases. And in fact, we'd, we'd mm-hmm. expect him to or demand that he would. And if, if, you, if you offered a, um, like a counterexample or a thought right. experiment where you're like, well, listen, imagine there's a judge in your society who's perfectly just and he knows that there's someone in your neighborhood who is only going to commit evil all the time, blah, blah, blah. Should he take him out of society? Should he have the right to mm-hmm. execute that person? Whatever. We could get to a place where you can imagine there's a perfect judge who is always right about whoever and that there are people who deserve death and that that person should judge them. So you can get on, on a, in a, um, uh, in an abstract level, okay, mm-hmm. such a being might be okay, and then but then we talk. Then the next conversation is, yeah, but weren't there kids in the cities and the plains? Sure. How do you deal with that? And it turns out, I think there are ve- there are very good answers to right. the what about the kids questions of of different kinds, and the answer that you marshal will depend on the person I think that you're having the conversation with. But Christians, if we know that God is good, loving, and just, if He's all mm-hmm. the things that the scriptures say that He is, right. then we can also be confident that. God is not killing and sending to hell innocent people. And there are different ways. We'll, we right. can talk about that later. Well, maybe we won't talk about that later. Ask your pastor, talk to a theologian. Mm-hmm. There are various ways of answering that question. But are innocent, will any innocent people end up in hell? The answer is no. Right. Okay, so now how do we reconcile that with um, there must have been babies and children in Sodom, Gomorrah, and the other cities? Well, there, yeah. it turns out there's a discussion to be had about that, but sure. I think it's secondary. It's afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, once we right. once we look at the world, like you said, take the whole scripture on its on its own turn, step into the whole story, mm-hmm. and use all of the biblical terms, and recognize that there is a morally in the story. There's a morally perfect judge of all creation. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you why it's secondary to wrap to wrap up. Mm-hmm. The reason why it's secondary is because. Uh, we're evangelizing is because we're sharing the gospel. And I could sit with someone and argue with them about uh, the morality of, or or the innocence of children or or lack thereof, or, you know, what happens with when like babies who die in utero or infancy, like, do they go to heaven or hell? I could sit there and talk to them about that, but what do they need? Um, It's like, it's like talking to a dying patient in front of you and you've got the medicine and they want to talk to you about the efficacy of vaccines or anything like that. Like, listen, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm here to give you what you need, which is the gospel. So the reason it's secondary and the reason why Cam and I approach the question right now, the way we did is because it gets to the core. It gets right down to the center of the issue of the gospel, which is that God is God I am not, mm-hmm. and God stands in judgment of me. Rightly stands in Rightly judgment of me. Rightly stands in judgment of me. 
And the good news is that he offers a way out of it, a moral way out of it. He yeah. took the responsibility himself to offer that way out. And so that's why it's secondary. It's secondary because we're evangelizing, because we're yeah. sharing the gospel. Right. And that's more important than working out all of the difficulties. Right. So, so you know. it's been said more beautifully than this, but apologetics, which is this kind of argument stuff we're doing, like, I don't, I don't see it very often leading people to God. I, it, I know it does. I know, sure. I know it does and it can, but usually what we see it doing is paving over the divots in the road. So it's like, there's this thing, Alan and I were pushing a case from our old church building to our new church building. Mm -hmm. And it's like those little casters did not want to go through some little, through some really small divots. It's like you're pushing and the whole case just stops. Yeah. And I think what these kind of conversations can do is make that flat so the case doesn't stop and we can keep going and talking and getting to the actual questions about values and morality and sinfulness and how I have offended and stand in judgment of God and all the things that you just said. And then his gracious reconciliation, like his gracious solution to that whole problem Mm -hmm. that ends with me being a member of his family and living in his house for eternity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, So we're going to, let's go ahead and land it there for today. Uh, Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, I do not. And so let me also say this at the very end. I did not, do not intend for this one episode to solve all of the problems that you have. (laughs) Or even this one. Yeah. Or even this one, or even this problem that you may have with, uh, you know, the God of the Old Testament or the uh, perceived problems in the Old Testament. Um, If anything, let it be a conversation starter. Take it with a grain of salt, chew on what we've had to say, but also do more research, go look into things. So I kind of sarcastically referred to it earlier, but I will seriously refer to it now. Check out Paul Copan's book yeah. on is it's called Is God a Moral Monster? Yeah. Uh, he's awesome. I've read it. It's Paul great. Paul Copan has written extensively yeah. on this topic and does an excellent, excellent job. Yeah, so go check that one out. Uh, that would probably be uh, probably close, if not at the top of the list, yeah. for what I'd recommend. So check that out and. Check out Word First Radio, which will come at you again next week. So God bless you guys. We'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to Word First Radio. Be sure to like, subscribe, and check us out online at wordfirst.us. Yeah!